children are naturally curious mm-hmm. and children have a natural sense of wonder. And Absolutely. we need to encourage that for as long as humanly possible and to kind of foster that for as long as humanly possible. And homeschooling gives you a unique opportunity to do that. Schools, they can't do that with the best intention of the world. They can't do that. If you have 20 something children in a classroom and you're teaching to various levels, some of them get it real quickly. Some of them don't. Sometimes the material is just not interesting to a bunch of them. You can't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and my guest today is Mary Ellen Barrett, a longtime Catholic homeschooling mom who's also a blogger and a podcaster and the editor of Seton Magazine for Seton Home Study Program. I've been trying to explore topics pertaining to Catholic education this season, and so it seems only fitting to bring a Catholic homeschool mom into the mix. I was never homeschooled. I have no real affiliation with homeschooling. And so it was interesting to just like pick her brain and and kind of find out what it's really like to homeschool. And it's funny because I think because going to school, like an outside school is the norm in this day and age in our country, homeschooling sounds so unnatural the first time you hear about it. But as she describes it, it sounds like just completely natural because there's just this um, seamlessness between family life and education. I think it's tempting in these kinds of conversations to try to find that silver bullet, you know, that one mode of education that will guarantee that your children will become intelligent, well-rounded, faithful Catholics. You know, there are certainly... A multitude of environments that children can flourish in. Um, I don't think that education is the deciding factor necessarily. I mean, I have friends who went to public school all their lives, friends who went to Catholic school all their lives, friends who were homeschooled all their lives up until college, who have all turned out to be intelligent, well-rounded, faithful, practicing Catholics. I also know people who were educated in all of the above ways who you know, totally rejected the faith or totally rejected the ideals of their parents um, and have kind of made their own way through life. You know, human beings are are free beings who are shaped by family environments, social environments, and cultural environments. Um, and we can be influenced by all of these factors. And it's obviously not going to work to just completely isolate your child from from any type of factor that would, you know, pose like a negative influence on them. But it's a tricky thing because I understand you want to protect your children from harm, from evil, and you also want to set them up for the best possible circumstances in life. I have no kids, so I don't really have any wisdom to share in that regard. But I but I do think just from observation that um, there's no guaranteed input output here are the results you get. And also, I think the challenge, too, is like, you know, Catholic school is not a monolithic thing. Public school is not a monolithic thing. Um, It depends on where you live in the country, what the, you know, community environment is like, what's the size of the school. And even 
down to the specifics of like who their classroom teacher is. Um, I had some incredible classroom teachers in public elementary school, but I might have had a different outcome if I had, you know, been with one of the other teachers for the same grade. So I think that's the beauty of using your God-given gifts of wisdom and discernment to make those decisions um, for your child, for your family, weighing all the factors. Um, it, it, sometimes we, we almost want somebody to give us like the perfect uh, textbook answer so that we can just follow it and not have to worry um, about unforeseen consequences. But I don't think it works like that, um, at least not in, in most areas of life. I think God gives us the moral law, um, which in and of itself is is a lot to adhere to. Um, but outside of that, there's a lot of freedom to cultivate a particular life for for ourselves and for our children. So best of luck to all the parents out there making those hard decisions. Um, I may look back on this, you know, years from now when I have kids and, and have other thoughts to say. But uh, for now, um, that's kind of my take. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, definitely check out Mary Ellen's blog and podcast if you're interested in homeschooling your children um, and learning more. And if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you are subscribed, rate, review, um, and follow on social media. And now here is my conversation with Mary Ellen Barrett. Mary Ellen Barrett is the editor of Seton Magazine and the director of special projects for Seton Home Study. She lives in Long Island, New York with her husband, David, and their seven children, ages 14 to 26. She blogs at Tales from the Bonnie Blue House and her Substack, The Thing with Feathers, and she co-hosts the podcast, Stay at Home School Mom Podcast with Ginny Sufert. Mary Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Is, uh, is school currently in session for, for your kids who are still uh, at that age? Yes, I still have um, three left to homeschool, and we started about three weeks ago. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so they're hard at work while, while you're um, recording this interview. Well, they're doing something. They, they <laughs> tend to be less hard at work when I'm not sitting there. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> They'll make it look good when I come into the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So, so as I was telling you before we started, um, I've been trying to explore some different models of education. I know that I have a lot of friends who have young kids that are, are not quite school age yet, and they're all trying to decide how are we going to school our kids. We want to make sure that we instill the faith in our kids. We want them to grow up in a, you know, a good environment, but they we also want them to you know actually learn things. Um, and there's just I think a lot of tension right now for for Catholics trying to decide between Catholic school, homeschool. Um, you know, and even even public school in some places. And so I want to talk to somebody who's a, a, a veteran homeschooler who has thought a lot about it. Um, and so I'm grateful for you to, to join me today. Yeah, these are difficult decisions for young families to make. It's it, There's a lot involved in making those decisions. Um, right. And I made it a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was kind of your impetus for uh, making the decision to become a full-time you know, as your podcast says, stay at home school mom. Um, it, so it was about uh, 2000, the year 2000. And my oldest son had, um, he was, 
he was a high functioning aut- he was on the spectrum aut- of autism mm-hmm. at the time they diagnosed him as um well i uh, they changed these diagnoses yeah, all the time but it was yeah. ppt pbdnos and he was in a self-contained classroom and he was in third grade and he was starting to pick up some abnormalities of other children who were who were less functioning than he was and he was also getting um teased a lot and mm. picked on by um mainstream kids because they were mainstreaming him into some classrooms and he wasn't actually capable he had a fairly low iq mm-hmm. and he wasn't really capable of some of the academics that they were pushing on him and i went to um an iep meeting which is an individual instruction plan meeting and they were going to promote him into the fourth grade but he really wasn't even doing third grade work very well and i said well that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me and they said well it'll be all right it'll be all right and i didn't think it was going to be all right at all and yeah. so i came home and my friend said why don't you try homeschooling him for a year? And I said, well, that sounds just really weird to me. Um, but <laughs> it did. And, yeah. and I had my, my younger daughter, my next in line was in um, the Catholic school in first grade. Mm-hmm. And then I had um, uh, another little one who was in, who was pre-K age, but she didn't, she, she was only going one day a week to uh, the pe- Catholic school. And so I said, well, all right. So she, she took me to a homeschool event, like where the kids were all, playing outside it was like in a field and now ryan my my son was he was odd because he had odd behaviors and he you know he twitched and he he rocked and he did other things but i mean he was friendly he was a friendly kid so we went to this thing and um i was catching up with a friend who i didn't know homeschool i hadn't seen since college we just happened to meet at this thing and i was like oh you you homeschool what's that like and she had babies and kids my age and so I'm doing that glance around and there's my son, Ryan playing red Rover with a bunch of boys. And I was like, oh, he's playing like nobody ever invited Ryan to play it before. Yeah. He had never had a friend. Nobody ever like, he was always that weird kid in the corner. So I can't, I was just, I was almost in tears. I was so happy. And he was so like excited when he was in the car, he had made these friends and there was, there was this kid, Paul, and there was this kid, Andrew, and there was this, all these kids. So I said to my husband, we have to do this. And he said, this sounds really weird to me. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can do this, but we, we prayed about it. We thought about it. We talked to people and we said, all right, we can do this for a year. And mm-hmm. if, if we don't ruin everybody's life in a year, we can, you know, we'll reevaluate <laughs> yeah. how much damage can you do in one year? Sure. And, um, he blossomed. He had friends. Wow. He, caught up in some subjects, you know, cause it's one-on-one instruction. And I pulled my, my other two out. And since then, nobody's gone to school until they went to college and it just worked for our family. So it just, yeah. it was a lifestyle though. I mean, you, you homeschool, it's a lifestyle. It's not something you do like from seven to three or something. It's, it becomes your whole life. Right. So when you started your, your oldest son, he was in like third-ish, fourth grade, Um, Mm -hmm. it's going into fourth grade Going into fourth grade. Okay. And were you solely the sole instructor or did you do like a co-op or I was the sole instructor for a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, we did a lot of homeschool activities. We didn't do, um, any, I only joined a co-op when, um, they got a little bit older. My younger kids got older. I started having babies like gangbusters there. And so it was, <laughs> it was hard to get out a lot, you know, yeah, sure. when you have, when you're constantly pregnant or nursing and, and stuff like that. So it was hard to commit to say going to a co-op and being at a class every Monday or every Wednesday. So, but I would join 
lots of things. The kids participated in um, what became a professional Shakespeare troupe for 14 oh, wow. years. Wow. So they performed, including Ryan, um, for 14 years until COVID um, shut it down. And they did all kinds of um, other kinds of performances and things like that. We we tended toward the um, the more fine arts, but then mm-hmm. they, they also did soccer and and Irish step dancing. And the kids all have gone through. I have a couple of black belts in karate. Like they've wow. done the things that other school kids do too. Right, right. And so, did you initially um, like go with Seton? curriculum or did you do a lot of research did you create your own I initially went with Seton because way back then um they were about the only game in town that was Catholic and had lesson plans and my background was not I was an English lit major in college but I when I chose that major my father said oh so you're going to teach and I said oh absolutely (laughs) not I'm not going to teach that sounds awful (laughs) I, I was, I went investment banking. I worked for an investment bank for many years. Um, so I wanted lesson plans and they were the only ones that really had that. Hmm. Um, and so from the beginning I was with Seton and there were years I wasn't fully enrolled. You, you can enroll in Seton and they do the grading and they oh, provide a transcript. Okay. Uh-huh. But, and so there were years I kind of dabbled in my own thing, but I always came back to Seton because I'm one of those people who needs like structure and a rail to run on and right. I'm just more calm I'm, I'm, my husband has words for it but I like to say type a you know okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. so I like a rail to run on yeah yeah and so at the time so the oldest was was fourth grade and then you had one who was uh like kindergarten second, second grade okay and then the kindergartner or so yeah okay okay um so then does that mean that you are every night you know, reviewing three separate lesson plans and getting ready for the next day? Yes and no. So when you start out, any any homeschool, whatever, whatever program you choose, or if you're doing it on your own, um, the kindergarten really only takes an hour mm-hmm. of lesson time. And if you break that up during the day, if you, you know, you're practicing writing your letters or you're counting or you're doing something like that, it feels like no time at all. Yeah. So I would review what I wanted to accomplish during the week with the kindergartner. And in between, you give them a, a mound of Play-Doh or some, you know, crayons and coloring books and things like that. Um, second grade maybe takes two hours of actual lessons. So they get a spelling list and some um, a couple of math problems. Mm-hmm. And you spend some time teaching. And then reading is really what you focus on teaching in those early grades. Because once they can read fluently. Yeah you can kind of give them the work and say, okay, come to me when you have problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so Ryan took up more of my time because he needed a lot more attention and Seton. Another thing, a reason why I chose them was because they had special services. So they really, yeah, yes, they have. And they always have. And and a lot of the, um, the, the big name curriculum providers do have this now, but Seton was the first one to have um, a special services division for children who don't learn typically. Hmm. Okay. So if you have a child with um, learning disabilities or things like dyslexia or dysgraphia or things like that, they can address those issues. Yeah. So when you say like for the second grader, there's only, you know, two hours of, of learning time. Does that mean that you sit down for, you know, I guess two hours, maybe broken up throughout the day and then the rest of the day they're free to play and explore? Or did you make it more structured than that? Um, I did 
it no i didn't make it more structured than that yes they were free to play um very little screen time yeah. very little screen time and again this is 20 something years ago so there were there wasn't a mu- as much screen time yeah, available right. but you know i'd put a video on once in a while to be able to take a shower or cook dinner <laughs> or something yeah <laughs> but um there was a lot of outside time and we did a lot of, we went to the library a lot we took oh, a lot okay. of nature walks uh-huh. we met friends we would i'd go to daily mass with them in the afternoon sometimes and then we go to the park um things like that so it it left them a lot of freedom to be children. Mm. Yeah. To just play. Right. You know? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I was, a, I taught high school for a number of years, but like, you know, even just reflecting on my own time, I went to public school for until sixth grade and then I went to Catholic school. I mean, when you look back on it, a lot of the day is spent transitioning from one thing to the next, getting everybody right. quiet, giving the instructions. Um, there's a lot of time where you're not, actually taking in information or problem solving mm-hmm. or figuring something out you're just kind of doing procedures <laughs> right so if you boil it down to actual academic instruction yeah it's not that much right um so that's and it's individual tutoring really so that that boils it down even more yeah so if somebody gets it really quickly i can walk away uh-huh. and let them complete the page or if they get it even quicker say all right, you've done 10 perfectly. Let's move on to the next lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So then, I mean, you know, that's with your first three children. You obviously had several more after that. I can just imagine then once you have another baby and they're very needy and you, you know, you're feeding them constantly, like, did that make it difficult to then continue to educate your children simultaneously? You would think it would, but actually it was, I think it's easier to have them home to help with the baby than to try to get everybody out the door and Mm. packing lunches and, oh gosh, I need an empty peanut butter jar and like sign these papers. (laughs) Um, It was, it just, like I said, it becomes your lifestyle so that the siblings have very um, close relationships. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they don't bicker and they don't fight. They're normal siblings. They drive each other crazy. They drive me crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> they are perfectly willing to change a diaper or hold mm-hmm. a baby or, um, you know, go clean up this mess or, you know, that kind of thing. Because so much living goes on at home yeah. that this is just what we do. So when my daughter, Katie, my oldest daughter, Katie, um, she was going, she was in fifth grade. So there's a, there's a very excellent Catholic school here that has a Latin school. So it's sixth to eighth grade, and then they have a high school. Mm. And it's about the only school I would ever consider for my children. And so she wanted to go. So we had this, we went through this whole application process and she got in and I paid the deposit and I bought the ugly uniform and the whole thing. (laughs) And then I found out I was expecting twins. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so she begged me to not go because she wanted to stay home and be with the babies. Wow. And so I said, all right, well, that's, you know, a few hundred dollars I'll never see again. (laughs) So (laughs) that, that uniform stayed in my attic for, I don't know how many years. Halloween every costume. So, <laughs> every so often I'd say, see what I did? But she just couldn't bear to be away from new siblings. And wow. they're so in some ways they're so close. It, and it was easy for me because I would just, if I had to do something or if I had to teach somebody and the two-year-old was fussing, I'd say, all right, go play with the two-year-old for a little while while mm-hmm. I take care of this one with their math and I'll yeah. get to you when, you know, so, I mean, 
I'm not saying it, it was idyllic. It wasn't. It was sure. sometimes very stressful. And there were many pizzas for dinner and a stick, <laughs> sticky kitchen floor for weeks on end. <laughs> but the important part was that um, we were close as a family. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess kind of the the downside of that that people often bring up, is, I mean, not that there's a true downside of being close with your family, but there there becomes a question of like what about social skills and do they interact well with other kids and play well with other kids so I mean you mentioned they did karate and soccer and other things like did you find that some of their social skills were stunted and you had to kind of push them or or was it all very natural like talk a little bit about about the social side of things I love when people ask me about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things I, I get asked to speak about a lot and at conferences and things. Um, it's so funny. A few years ago, I had my twins at the library and they were, so they're 17 now. So maybe they were 12 yeah. and um, some lady was speaking to them. And I just kind of walked over because Bridget looked stressed and I said, hi. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I was just talking to your daughter. I found out she was homeschooled and I just had to learn all about it. And I said, oh, okay. Is is everything all right? And she says, well, yes. She said, I, I'm just very concerned about socialization. I, I teach in the public school and I was just very concerned. I said, well, was she speaking to you? Was she telling you what it was about? She goes, yes. Oh yeah. She's very polite. She spoke very nicely. I said, well, isn't that socialization? <laughs> <laughs> she went, oh, oh. <laughs> she got a little flustered. <laughs> <And> she... <laughs> And I guess that's my point. Yes, yeah. they um, they do so. They socialize with a vast um, age group mm. from the very early age. Our homeschooling group, I was the twenty fifth family to join. Wow. Um, there are over three hundred and fifty families in it now, oh and my that's gosh. just yeah, that's just our Catholic homeschool group. Um, it grew very quickly. Um, first, because I live in New York, and um, there, there was a vaccine mandate passed. Um, I want to say two thousand eighteen that no child could go to school without having been vaccinated. And a lot of people were anti-vax and so they started homeschooling. So we got a big influx of hmm. people then. And then of course COVID happened and people started homeschooling and some people just right. you know, stuck with it. Right. Um, and we have a very big secular group and we have a huge Christian group on Long Island. So when we have a homeschool group activity, you know, if we all are participating in a field day or if there's a co-op or if there's a there's a play tryout or a talent show, they're with kids from all age groups. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of grow up together. Right. So the socialization happens that way. And they go to my kids have gone to um sci classes at science museums. They have participate I have a daughter who's a professional musician so mm. she was has been playing in orchestras since she was six years old she's played at Carnegie Hall wow. I mean she's had great opportunities to play with some of the best musicians in the country um that's socialization yeah. so yes they they are well socialized but yes it was me having to make those opportunities happen I could have mm. locked them in a closet sure you know sure. and just never left the house but that wouldn't have been um serving them well and that wouldn't have been serving God well he gave them to me to educate them the best way that I could my husband and I when I say me I am including him in that. it's <laughs> like the royal we. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He had a lot to do with this too um so that was part of my mission was to make them functional human beings. And to right. do that, you have to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say homeschooling group, are these all people who are doing Seton together or all different programs? And they're somehow like this form, this coalition. 
Yeah, it's all different um, methods of homeschooling. Not everybody uses Seton. Um, Some people do their own thing. Some people use Mother of Divine Grace. Some people use Colby's. Some people have different philosophies of it. Some people use, um, there's an online school called Homeschool Connections. Um, It has nothing to do with philosophy. It's more about our faith that brings us together. Okay, so these are all Catholic families? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I mean, how does that... How does that work? Like, is there someone who's in charge of it? Is there a space that you collectively share? Like, what's just sort of the logistics of, of having a big homeschool group like that? The logistics are a little hairy. Um, <laughs> it, it used to be, and you might be too young to remember these, um, Yahoo email groups. Um, that's where it started, like when I first was belonged to it. So we would email each other. And we okay. still have an, I think it's an IO email group now and a Facebook group. Uh-huh. Um, and that's how we communicate. Oh, so-and-so uh, booked this museum class at this time. Who wants to sign up? This is how much it is. And then we all go to that. We don't have one specific meeting place for the whole group. Okay. There are, I want to say, four different co-ops going on right now. So people will pick the one that has the philosophy or the classes or the location that's most convenient to them. And if they choose to attend a co-op, that's what they go to. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of them are, I'm going to, I'm going to start going to one that's about 40 minutes away for my youngest. He's going to take a public speaking class at that one because he hasn't, because of COVID, a lot of the stuff where he would have opportunities for that kind of thing didn't happen. Right. So he's going to start going to that. Um, there are three or four other ones that I know of around. So it it just depends on, there are so many different things going on all over Long Island. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you want to do. You can participate as little or as much as you want to. Yeah. So, I mean, you've obviously been involved for, for decades now, but for if there's like a young family in your area who's just getting started, like, are they essentially finding out about you all through Facebook groups or through just mutual friends? Like, is there a way that people get connected to these sorts of things? Yeah, it's that can be overwhelming to try yeah. to figure out. People do tend to find us on Facebook yeah. or through their parishes mm-hmm. sometimes or somebody they know knows somebody they know or they Google Catholic homeschooling Long Island yeah. <laughs> and myself or some of the other women who've done public speaking about it will pop up and they I get an email or a text message or something like that. Okay. So it's, it's not this super formalized thing, like we're this group and you have to like, you know, gain entry into our group through. Oh, goodness. No, <laughs> no it's nothing like that. Yeah. Please just, you know, it, it, find me on Facebook if you're on Long Island and want to yeah. join. <laughs> yeah. It's not at all formal. Um, if you want to join our, our um, email group, the only thing is we have one lady who moderates it and she asked that, um, she gets to give you a phone call mm-hmm. just because we've had people who come on and like spam us with weird things oh, and stuff yeah. like that. You know, you're always yeah. open to some kind of nasty behavior. So sure. um, we just ask that somebody allow um, Alice to call them and just to make sure that they're actually a legitimate person. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who aren't really clear on like the terminology, what is a homeschool co-op? Like how is that different from homeschooling in your house, send them to a small school? Like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of different terms now. A co-op generally means when um, a bunch of homeschool families get together and rent or acquire some space, usually in um, an empty Catholic school, Mm -hmm. something like that, and 
moms or dads will take take it upon themselves to teach different classes. Usually they're enrichment classes, maybe literature or music or art or something like that. Or it'll be, in my case, I usually used to sign up for um, a lot of science classes. We had a, a couple of different uh, biology classes. Uh, we had some wonderful nurses and doctors and um, naturalists in our group hmm. who would t- who would dissect things. I didn't want like a cow eyeball <laughs> in my house or a fetal pig. I just didn't want one in my fridge. Right. So that, but those are required kind of things. So I would sign up for those kinds of classes. So it would be parents who took it upon themselves to do this and would give classes like that. Okay. I teach one in, um, I teach literature classes, usually in uh, mystery fiction, mm. because that's just something I enjoy reading. So yeah. I like to share that knowledge with kids. So I'm teaching um, the Father Brown mysteries oh, to fun. middle schoolers. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a fun thing. Um, and there's also hybrid schools where... Um, it's yeah, I'm hearing more, this more and more. Yeah. I don't know if that's a more of a new term or. It seems to be kind of new. Um, it's like a, it's really come into its um, own, like in the last five years where they'll buy, say, like a Seton program uh-huh. and they'll meet for two or three days a week and teach. And then the other two days, the children are home. Okay. And they get the homework to complete on those two days. So that's kind of hybrid schooling where you're in two or three days and home two or three days. Okay. But with the co-ops, like since you said it's more enrichment, are they doing like Seton or whatever at their house and then they're gathering together to just do something that's not like for a grade or for a course credit? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's that's so interesting because it's kind of like people just, um, I don't know, sh- I guess sharing their 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 talents or sharing their knowledge like for its own sake you know yeah <laughs> There's something kind yeah. of like refreshing about that where because I think I mean just because I, I taught for eight years Catholic high school and I think the students they um they they realize that there's a lot of um busy work in school and or you're just doing certain things to like they they see it all as a means to an end they're like I need to get a good grade in this class so I can have a good GPA, so I can get into a good college, so I can get a good job, so I can mm-hmm. make good a salary, da, 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 you know, and there's, so there's not really like this love of learning. I think that often gets instilled, except for the ones who are just very naturally curious, you know, um, and, and I think like even the school I worked at, they would try to have these kind of enrichment periods during the day where it wasn't a class, you just could go and learn it, but the students never took it seriously. It was just a time to relax and, you know, skip if they could, and so, I don't know. I, I think that's a, a challenge is, is like, how can you help people to just like obviously learn, but also just to enjoy learning and not see learning as something that's confined to a school and you stop doing it once you get the terminal degree. Yeah. It, it's a big deal in the homeschooling community. Um, all homeschoolers that I've ever met, Catholic, Christian, secular, whatever their, their, you know, philosophy is, is, that children are naturally curious mm-hmm. and children have a natural sense of wonder. Yeah. And absolutely. we need to encourage that for as long as humanly possible. Right. And to kind of um, foster that for as long as humanly possible. And homeschooling gives you a unique opportunity to do that. Yeah. So schools, they can't do that with the best intention of the world. They can't do that. If you have 20 something children in a classroom and you're teaching to various levels. Some of them get it real quickly. Some of them don't. Sometimes the material is just not interesting to a bunch of them. You can't do that. But 
homeschooling can. You can kind of be led by their interests a little bit, or you can take them to a place where somebody who's wildly passionate about a subject that you're not going to find in a school will teach them about it. Now, right. some co-ops are set up, and um, I've done this like with the biology thing, where you have somebody who will put in the credit hours of teaching it and sign off that you've done this, that, and the other thing. And some school districts will accept that as a credit hour for a high school class. Hmm. I mean, it's a lot more work for that teacher. I'm but sure, by yeah. and large, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. But by and large, it's mostly about something that they just want, they love, and they want to share with you. And right. And then sometimes you'll get a kid who just is just, you see that spark and they're like, wow, yeah, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, and they may do nothing with it or they may grow up and do something amazing with it. So, and that's, that's, you know, that's what every teacher wants, right? Every teacher in every school and every situation wants that. We just have a a broader opportunity to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Do you find that a lot of the parents involved in your co-op that you've gotten to know, did they start homeschooling from the get-go or a lot of them, like they went, they sent their kids to public school or maybe they sent their kids to Catholic school and they saw issues and then they pulled them out? Um, I have seen a lot of both. Most of my friends started from the get-go, like planned to do this when they, when they had children. Okay. Yeah. Um, And a few friends just weren't satisfied with the school. Yeah. Um, and now since COVID, we have a lot of people who like their eyes were opened. I uh, keep in mind, I live in New York, sure, yeah. which is like a different animal than, you know, <laughs> other places. Yeah. <laughs> and once your eyes are opened, it's hard to shut them about what's going on in some of these schools. So, right. um, and they found that, oh yeah, I, I actually can do this. And, um, what I'm providing is better than mm-hmm. what they were getting. Yeah. Or they, they found out their kids were more behind than they thought they were and, and they were able to catch them up. And so maybe we can continue this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Maryland, so, you know, we're like the litigious capital of the country, <laughs> I think, but I'm sure it's pretty similar in New York, but I mean, do you find, I think this is the concern that's starting to grow amongst people is that like as homeschooling becomes more and more, I don't know, I guess popular for lack of a better word, like that local governments are going to start sort of cracking down or having their hands more involved or, or, you know, have you, have you noticed, have you seen any of that? Like, is there any sort of oversight that you're getting from, you know, government not, New York? Not so well, New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, North Dakota are very difficult home states to homeschool in, meaning that they require the most paperwork they have oh, the most really? oversight yes and who's There's, the paperwork coming from like who, who's like mailing you something <laughs> well see and that's another weird thing like for example in new york um the state requires a certain amount of i have to submit a letter of intent and then mm-hmm. they send me something a request for an ihip individual home instruction plan mm-hmm. i have 10 days to respond wow. i send them my ihip they have 10 days to respond to me to say yes we accept it or no we don't I am never on time with mine. They are never on time with theirs in my <laughs> school districts. And, and we're all very friendly about it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to submit quarterly reports. And then every other year up until eighth grade, I have to do give them standardized tests. And on alternate years, I write an assessment of what the children have done. Oh, wow. That's a, Yeah, that's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. Fine. Okay. That's my school district. Mm-hmm. The next school district over, a mile and a half from me, they don't have to do anything. Really? Okay. Absolutely nothing. Wow. 
So, I so, mean, <laughs> I can't explain it to you. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, like, I, I just, I just know nothing about this. So, I mean, is there, like, let's just say hypothetically, you know, someone in your school district, parents just decided that they're going to homeschool their kids. They never even went to school, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, they're just going to start homeschooling them. Like, who, <laughs> who do they report to or like who finds out about them and then contacts them? Like, what's that sort of chain of command if they were they were going to do it correctly they would then send a letter of intent to the superintendent of schools if they did absolutely nothing um, i don't know how anybody would find out i mean eventually somebody (laughs) might right 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 (laughs) yeah i I don't think anybody be out looking for them sure okay okay but i but i guess i guess that's a question of just it's probably varied wherever you live. So there's no sort mm-hmm. of universal answer that you can say for like, here's how no. you legally homeschool your kids. No, it's legal in all 50 states. Okay. Um, but some states like Texas, um, Illinois, you don't have to report at all. You never have to tell oh, wow. them. Yeah, there's no letter of intent. There's nothing like that. So there are quite a few states like that. Hmm. Okay. So Which then makes I, it hard to see how it's growing. But in the states that report homeschooling, it's grown something like seven or eight percent in the last few years. Which, okay. when you consider how many millions of children that is, that's a pretty significant growth. Right. Right. Hmm. Wow. So obviously, you know, you you've you've been with Seton for a long time. You you edit their magazine, so I'm sure you have you know a kind of a bias towards them, but for some of the, there's, you know, you mentioned Colby, you've mentioned, you know, mother of divine grace. Like what do you, can you explain a little bit about maybe the differences between some of these Catholic um, curriculum models, like to the extent that, you know, and like how a family might make the most informed choice about what, what's best for their kids. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit pro Seton because that really suits my style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very scholastic. Um, it's very kind of, book-driven, workbook-driven, very kind of uh, repetitive learning, that kind of thing, which I know is not in fashion, but that's the way I was taught, and it worked out okay for me, and I was familiar with it, so that was easy for me to make that decision. Mother of Divine Grace is what's called a classical school, Okay. so they they place a lot of emphasis on the learning trivium, uh, grammar, rhetoric, logic, Mm -hmm. that. Um, They do a lot of uh, let's see the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans. They do a lot of mythology and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. um, it's it's a lovely curriculum mm-hmm. started by a, a perfectly wonderful woman called uh, Laura Berquist. Met her several times. She's terrific. She's still very involved with the school. Okay. Um, and so it's and you also get um a counselor with with that curriculum. So you get a little bit of help really? with Seton. You get counseling too. Counseling Colby, as in for um for the student, like school counselor or someone to help you as the parent? Somebody to help you as the parent. So say you you get a little stuck or you're overwhelmed or you're not quite sure how to present a lesson. You can give somebody a call and say, Hey, let me know. And they, they help you through it. They walk you through that kind of thing. Um, Colby, I'm not as familiar with. They're kind of leaned more toward the classical side and they have, um, live online classes and they Mm. also have, um, book learning where you where you just get the the stuff at home and you do it on self-paced okay um so i'm not as familiar with that but i know people really like it they're based in california and they're i believe an umbrella school there which is um they have a legal obligation to do that i'm I'm not familiar with the laws there you'd have to somebody who's interested in that would have to look that up because i don't want to say anything wrong um 
and they they accept a lot of credits from other schools too, whereas I don't think Mother Divine Grace does and um, Seton does, but there are a lot of requirements to do so. They, they'll accept uh, outside classes mm-hmm. um, in certain subjects. So, but Colby takes a lot of outside classes too. So you get a diploma from them and there's a lot of more flexibility there. Okay. Um, so those are like the three main ones. Okay. And then there are some smaller ones. And it all depends on what your philosophy is on, on homeschooling and how you like to teach and what kind of books you want to provide for your children and how, um, how much support you want from the school, like how much support you need. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want grading, if you want counseling, if you want to do all that yourself, if you want it very literary, or if you just want to put them in front of the workbooks and have them learn that way. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to figure that all out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just if somebody were to like go rogue and just create their own homeschool program, when it t- when it came time for if their child wanted to apply to college, would they be having to take a GED exam or do you have any idea how that works? <laughs> that is actually getting so much easier. Yes, okay. you can write your own transcript. Um, I have written my own transcripts uh, because my the daughter who's the musician, um, she took a lot of fine arts kind of classes and orchestras yeah. and stuff. So that I wanted that on her transcript. And she did in New York State have to take a GED, okay. which was called the task exam. Um, that year, she and several others uh, took the task exam and got perfect scores. Hmm. And so many of the colleges that they had to take them for... Um, stopped requiring it of homeschool students really after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny she was annoyed <laughs> right right well yeah <laughs> she's like what a waste like, yeah it's like this two day long eight hour exam it was like a pain in the neck but um so some some colleges may still require it but you can make your own um transcript a lot of colleges will accept that now mm. it's much easier. What my advice would be is starting in say the end of sophomore year, um, start to figure out what college you're interested in applying to and find out what their requirements are for homeschoolers Mm, early, early, early and start working on that transcript. Um, There's an organization called HSLDA. It's the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And they have lots of examples of transcripts on their website for free. You can join them. I think it's $100 for the year. Okay. And they have tons of information about the laws in each state for homeschooling. Yeah. Um, but they also have a lot of free information about um, transcripts. And um, they have templates of them. You can actually print them off and, like, make your own. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. So that's that's a very good source of that kind of information. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Now, one of the other criticisms um, of homeschooling that I hear is is that the kids just tend to be really bad at math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no public school kids are bad at math. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's the perfect rebuttal because we're all actually really bad at math right now. <laughs> I'm quite terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, not a lot of people, unless you're at a STEM school, you're probably not excelling. I married a CPA, so I would oh, never yeah. have to balance my checkbook go. again. <laughs> yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I just think that some people are bad at math, and some people are great at it. And and so homeschoolers have access to the same things that other people have. You uh-huh. can hire a tutor. You can look yeah. at a YouTube video. You can, you right. know, all those kinds of things. But do you, have you found that they they have courses that go up to like calculus? You know, should oh, a student yeah. be on that level? Oh, sure, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. I know a lot of. Yes. Yeah. 
definitely. I know a lot of kids who've taken calculus and very high advanced math. And mm-hmm. I, I know a couple of homeschool students who went to MIT. I know a couple mm-hmm. who've gone to medical school. I mean, yeah, right, that's right. not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was wondering too is, and, and this, um, you know, this might not be an issue for people who are deciding between Catholic school and homeschooling, but, um, you know, I know for a lot of people, they're, um, it's, it's tight money wise in terms of living on a single income. And so did you find that, you know, with you, I don't know, you said you were working prior, um, or were, were you only working prior to having kids? I worked prior to having children okay. and then I took, um, years off. Uh-huh. I only started really working full, full time about five or six years ago. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, did so you yeah. single income for a lot? Of okay. It. Yeah. So do you have any sort of tips or advice for families that are wanting to stay at home homeschool, which means they're going to be on a single income and, um, you know, it often tends to be too that people who homeschool have several children. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, finances are always a, a consideration and they're always difficult. Um, my husband has worked very, very hard at two jobs mm. um, for a long time Yeah, to, to provide and um, being sometimes staying at home can be more frugal in some ways. Um, if you're sending your children to Catholic school and you're working just to do that, right. Then homeschooling might be a, um, a viable option for you. I, you know, I cook three meals a day or I, I provide three meals a day. I shop very few frugally. I mean, groceries lately are just at, Oh gosh, I know. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It's just ridiculous, but I'm not paying for me to commute. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not paying for daycare or any kind of babysitting. Um, well, when my children were younger, I wasn't, um, my in our homeschool group we shared as many resources as we could mm-hmm. um buying taking advantage of the thrift store so buying things used mm-hmm. that kind of thing i mean there are always ways to cut corners for things that you want i've never yeah. been somebody who hit starbucks three times a week right um things like that i mean there's always a way to find the money that you need um for what you want and and i i really do think god blesses our efforts for these mm. kinds of things like uh, we always found that when we were just like okay another baby's coming you know and <laughs> god provided there was always a little raise or a bonus or something it was always like a sign like yes you're doing the right thing mm. so i think if we we kind of step out and trust and so many of us are so fearful especially in this economy i get mm. it believe me i get it mm. it's hard it's really hard to step out and trust but if you do i think god blesses those efforts i really do yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, have, have any of your kids at any point said, mom, I really want to go to regular school? No, no. Okay. Really? I, yeah. And I've offered here and there. Okay. And I, I've threatened. <laughs> there you go. No. <laughs> I, I haven't, I really haven't, but, um, I have watched that school bus go by and thought, oh, <laughs> wow, please come back. <laughs> They're, they're always those days. We right, all have them. Right. But um, no, they really haven't ever asked to go to school. I, I, I've i tried really hard to provide a, a good life for them yeah. here. And and hopefully I have. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I think if they were miserable, they would. kids yeah. usually let you know if they're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I it, It's nobody's happy 100% of the time. No. And we've all had our days. But mm-hmm. by and large, um 
we've had a good lifestyle. We've mm-hmm. been very blessed. Mm-hmm. We have been. Yeah. And yeah, that's wonderful. Um, well, this has been really informative. Um, I'm like, you know, I don't have kids yet, so I have, I'm a total blank slate when it comes to, to homeschooling. And so I appreciate you just letting me like kind of pepper you with questions. Oh, no, I'm happy to, to do this. This is great. Thank you so much. Um, anytime anybody wants to talk about homeschooling, I'm happy to do it. And anybody who has any questions, I'm easy to find on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I think that's actually where I found you. Um, (laughs) so, um, for people who might be interested in in following some of the work that you do, what are some things that they can find if they, if they go to your, your blog? Um, if, if it's maryellenbarrett.com and Mm -hmm. if, I mean, it goes back to, I think, 2007 when my children oh, wow. were very tiny. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's, uh, you can go back there. It's it's not that well organized because people didn't back then. Right. Blogs weren't, yeah, blogs weren't monetized or very yeah. fancy back then. Um, and I'm just too old of a dog to learn that new trick. <laughs> so, um, but there's a lot of stuff on there about uh, homeschooling. And the, the newer Substack is more about the second half of life and, mm. and stuff like that. But also on um, the podcast, the Stay at Home School Mom podcast is where my friend Jenny and I combined uh, 50 years of homeschooling experience, wow. she and I. Yeah. Um, so if you want to take a listen to that, we go into all like how you keep your house clean while homeschooling. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> Do you have one for on how you keep your house clean when you're a single woman with a dog and you're still kidding? <laughs> it's the dog. I know it's the dog that makes everything the mess. <laughs> I know he, he, he never does the dishes. Let's <laughs> blame the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, check out the podcast. Okay. That might be helpful. Oh, definitely. Great. Well, great. Well, thank you again so much. Um, and I look forward to hopefully talking with you in the future. Thank you. God bless. You too. Bye-bye. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope that went well for you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to kind of keep things conversational. I had a couple of questions that, um, you know, friends are saying, make sure you ask her about this. So <laughs> they're like more, a little more invested. Like I said, I'm a very blank slate, but like, a lot of my friends are very much at that stage where they're like, okay, we got to make these decisions because the kids are like, you know, three years old now. So, oh, okay. <laughs> they don't have to decide yet. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's good. Like you said, like you kind of were going to give it a trial year, you know? So it, I decide every year, really. Yeah. We do. We decide every year. Yeah. Well, now I, I'm right at the end. So right. this is what we're doing now. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think people feel like every decision they make is going to be permanent. And I mean, with the exception no. of, you know, who you marry, that's probably the only super permanent yeah. decision. When they're four or five, or right up until, you know, what you do in second grade is not going to affect whether or not they go to Harvard. <laughs> it's just not. So don't right. worry about it. Enjoy second grade. Exactly. It's going to be fine. 